Okay, so Allison and Scott are still broken up. Um, they are looking to steal Allison's uh, necklace, which has the little wolfy wolf on it. Um, cut to Jackson at the doctor's office uh, with this really excellent horror scene where um, Jackson gets some wolf's mane uh, rope pulled out of his neck, which turns out to be a fake out, but he does learn that he has aconite poisoning, which means uh, wolf's mane. So that leads him to a huge jump and he confronts Scott about being a werewolf and then continues to torment him throughout the day. Um, Scott breaks into the house, Allison's house to get her uh, necklace. Allison goes on a run with Kate. I'm not going fast enough for this work. Um, Kate does some really weird creepy stuff. Uh, there's a conversation with Chris Argent and um, oh, Peter is the alpha. We actually seriously find that out this time. Um, Scott Stiles goes in and gets him. There's a lacrosse game. Um, the coach also bruh <laughs> i'm not gonna do much better but like I, no i just it's yeah. once again a lot of things got like crammed into this episode and but you don't even notice that it's happening until it's over because when it ended we were both like wait a minute we're like hold on it's ending it's over yeah yeah it's, it's funny because a lot of stuff is happening but not enough that made me feel like it was a full cycle of an episode no, it's, it's a lot of, like, little pieces you need for certain things to start clicking in, but... Yeah, and I think as we're approaching the end of the season, we're just going to end up having that. Like, I actually think the season finale is kind of a doubleheader, but from now, it is just one continuous schmoment instead yeah, of... Yeah, there's no break between it's, episodes. Yeah, it's the same, like... It's day. no longer Monster of the Week, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I say stalling, so I can think about what happened in this episode. I'm ready whenever you are to hit the start button on this timer, so. Okay, I'm, I think I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one. So Allison and Scott are still broken up and they find out that they're gonna need the necklace because Laura tells Derek from beyond the grave that it's important. And so Scott tries to like hash out a plan to steal it or get it back or get back together with Allison. It's kind of unclear. And Allison and Jackson are like kind of dating. It's very weird. Jackson breaks up with Lydia later. They're, they go swimming. Um, uh, 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 um, oh shoot, uh, there's, uh, the, the big game is coming up tonight. The episode actually starts with the hunters hunting Derek. So Derek is a fugitive because of Scott and they're like hiding him. And also, um, not actually a lot happens. It's mostly just Derek hiding and Scott getting a necklace. He finds it and we realize that Harris is the one who helped, um, Kate set the fire in the Argent house and this sheriff is starting to like really figure stuff out and the end of the episode starts with the big game but Styles is nowhere to be seen because we figured out that the alpha is Peter and he's fighting him and Derek in the outpatient facility. That was like right on time. Thanks. And you got some things that I completely forgot about. I feel like I did um like big details but not necessarily plot points and I also did not go in order so... That's Maybe fine. I recommend reading the Wikipedia page for this app before you uh, listen further, yeah? Yeah. If that's something you want us to, like, build into these episodes is us reading the Wikipedia recap or a different recap, if you find yourself getting confused, let us know. The thing about Teen Wolf and our enjoyment of it is that it's inherently confusing. I Season one is confusing, and then we get to the later season where, like, I don't know what's happening at all. There are certain episodes of this show that I have watched many times over because I cannot figure out what's happening. No. Um, which and is yet. I, I don't... Love, remember <laughs> the thing about when we talked about our episode about Practical Magic, about the things that you, like, grasp onto even though you don't have any reason to? Yes. Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf. Uh, 
Anyway, this week we watched our episode through the theme of discovery because a lot of people be out here knowing stuff. Lots of stuff. Lots it's of just stuff. like the year of realizing things. It's the year of realizing things. <laughs> Thank you, Kylie Jenner. Um, is that Kylie or Kendall? It Everything really I know matter. about that family, I learned against my will. So I literally do not know. It truly does not it matter. It does not matter. Yeah, no, but a lot of things are uncovered by our characters. Known by us, because we've seen the show before, but even to a first-time watcher, I think we're starting to piece things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first thing I want to talk about is Jackson. Yes. First, and this doesn't actually... I mean, this does lead to his major discovery... The scene, his dream sequence in the hospital where they pull the rope of Wolfsbane out of the back of his neck and there's blood dripping on the floor. Disgusting. Disgusting, and it's also one of my favorite scenes in Teen Wolf. Especially, oh my, every goddamn time. People wait to commit crimes (laughs) until we're recording the podcast. Honestly, that's really what it feels like because I didn't hear a single siren the entire time we were watching the episode. No. Anyway. Anywho. So, what I really love about that is, like, the blood dripping onto the petals that are, like, piling up on the floor, like, these beautiful purple petals of wolfsbane. Um, And then I love that it's a fake-out, because I absolutely would believe that that's a thing that would happen on Teen Wolf, because Mm -hmm. a lot of weird, like, body horror stuff happens on Teen Wolf. But the fact that it's a fake-out, I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Fun. And I think I've mentioned this before. I don't even remember when I mentioned this. I think in our episode where we discussed horror, I talked about looking forward to the scene because it reminds me of the scene in the ring where she pulls like the medical wire out of her mouth Mm -hmm. and it's like covered in hair. It's like disgusting. Like that, these things have always really like bonded in my mind. Yeah. Um, because of the way that they're executed, the way it's filmed, the lighting and stuff, it's so dark and cold, and it's just, it's disgusting, but done in a way that is, like, beautiful. I yeah. don't know if that's the word for it. And then it also reminds me in season five when we we find what they think is, like, a dead canima. No, not canima. Chimera. Mm-hmm. And then her tail breaks out of her spine. Yeah. Yeah. Similar, but that one's not fake, so it's maybe way closer. <laughs> All of season five is just people bleeding, like, metallic silver sharpie ink the whole time. And you're like, I'm bored. I wasn't bored. I was just disappointed. (laughs) Okay. Listen, we had people on Twitter telling us that season five has rights. It sure doesn't. We'll get there. Um, We're we're gonna need a guest host (laughs) for season five if that's our attitude. It's not fun to listen to things when you're just being mean to them. Well, there are certain things that I love about season five. Like Liam. When Liam is, Liam is a character that gets introduced much later in the show, and now that we're watching season one, I find that I kind of miss him, and I miss the dynamic between him and Scott, because it just adds, a like, a completely different aspect of Scott's character, is, like, trying to parent this small werewolf. Yeah. Um, but I yeah. love people in shows, and this is, like, a really common trope, where they, like, don't have a dad, but have to be a dad, and they're like, what am I doing? Yeah, how to be a good dad. How to be a good dad. Um, I know a lot of dads who should look that up. Real. Not my dad, dad, you're great, sorry. (laughs) Um, Uh, Okay, so we got so far off topic, but yeah, that scene, I do want to talk about it because it's so well executed, but it is what leads Jackson to make the connection that Scott is a werewolf, and I think if you hear a wolf's bane, you'd be like... Her. But I don't know if I, I don't know if I, as a human being with, like, 
I like sort of propinquity towards skepticism would sit there and be like, well, he must be a werewolf. I'd be like, there has to be a logical explanation for this. Well, we've kind of been building to this the whole season, and I do think that it is in the previous episode when um, Jackson finds one of the claws and then, like, puts it through the lacrosse glove, which, again, is kind of a jump. Like, it's all kind of a, a logical leap that I don't necessarily understand the steps that are taken to get to it, but... As we've discussed many, many times, Jackson's very smart. Yes. In certain ways. Yes. Um, and with this newfound discovery, he... One, decides that that's what he wants for himself. And two, decides to torment Scott with the fact that he knows this piece of information. But, and of course, what's interesting about that is that he has truly no idea, like, the larger implications of what's going on. Well, he does find out at the end of the episode when Scott is like, you will be hunted with assault rifles. Do you understand, like, that, that that's the responsibility that I have to take on? Yeah. Um, but he doesn't know that at first. And you're right, he does, he does weaponize it against mm-hmm. Scott, which is interesting. Um, and read Jackson's intelligence. We kind of, I feel like, sit ambivalently, ambivalently upon this because it's really hard to break it down in any way that isn't just like he's dumb, he's smart when we're just speaking about him casually Mm -hmm. but Jackson is smart he has very clear goals in mind it is his lack of social intelligence that makes it so he can't accomplish them correctly like when he dumps Lydia over text somebody who he loves like we know that they love each other and she loves him and she's heartbroken about it Mm -hmm. Jackson sees a goal a goal in mind views her as something that somebody that would impede that goal, and instead of doing the thing that would make it the most easy to get rid of her, which would have been, like, a sit-down talk, being like, this isn't working anymore, I think we're going different directions, whatever bad, awful, like, breakup banter happens, you know? Yeah. I'm sure it would be highly cliche, because it always is in real life, too. Um, it's not me. It's you. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he could, doesn't even have the patience or the understanding that that is how best to accomplish that goal. Yeah. He doesn't understand empathy. No. Like at all. No. Um, and I think a lot of, as much as we know that Jackson and Lydia love each other, I wonder how much of that they've expressed to one another or even if they know, because you You know, they said, I love you. Oh, I think that they might've said, I love you, but I don't, Sometimes you don't understand, like, the depth of your feeling for someone unless it's put in, like, a very specific test. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you have a moment where you could just kind of stop dead in your tracks and you're like, oh, shit. Um, so I don't really know kind of, like, how far he's gotten in his understanding of how much he loves Lydia. Because he does, clearly. Yeah. But he does not know how to behave in that manner. Interesting. Um, but he doesn't know how to behave in any manner, though. So, like, this isn't just a Lydia thing, like, of their love. Like, he can't talk to Derek without being a weirdo. Derek yes. also can't talk to him without being a weirdo. And I almost <laughs> wish there was, like, a way in the show that worked out where it'd be, like, a really long scene with just Derek and Jackson because that interaction would be sociologically fascinating. Yep. Psychologically. Sorry, not sociologically. I'm still reading my social notes out of this <laughs> notebook. Yeah. Uh... Jackson. His discovery does lead to a scene that I think about frequently when I think about Teen Wolf because I think it's so well executed where uh, 
they're all in the cafeteria for lunchtime and Jackson is talking to Scott from like across the room and kind of whispering because he knows that Scott can hear him and it's kind of this like it's a test but it's also really torturous for Scott because he's trying to pretend like he can't hear Jackson and it's just delicious like it's so good it is good yeah it a little bit reminds me of some of the aspects of Harry Potter um where Harry can basically from book two on spends a majority of the series being able to hear things that nobody else can mm-hmm. and obviously it's different because he's either hearing snakes talk because he can speak parcel tongue or he's literally getting inside views into Voldemort's memory or his experiences that are happening mm-hmm. and it is something that is being used against him and something that he can't control mm-hmm. and I think Scott can probably turn off his hearing but he's also so fresh in his powers that he hasn't learned how to isolate Jackson's voice and get it out of his brain yeah. so when it's especially something that's bothering him because Jackson is is as you said he's torturing him a little bit it's something that he can't unfocus on in the same way that like Harry never really got good at occupancy <laughs> <laughs> well it actually kind of reminds me of True Blood and how when Sookie becomes really flustered and is like dealing with all of these outside things that she's never really had to deal with she kind of loses control of her ability to not read people's minds and like people around her start to notice that because they're like you promised me you wouldn't do that but she literally can't control it because there's so many other things going on around her that like prevent her from having that mental focus like Mm -hmm. I don't know I think that's interesting I think there also are parts in True Blood where people will express like explicitly think at Suki Mm -hmm. to hear from across the room interesting that's a good comparison because, I mean, that's what Jackson's doing. He's talking yeah. at Scott very specifically, but, like, yeah. in the corner of the cafeteria. Um, cafeteria. Very small. Very small. I mean, my high school's cafeteria could probably only hold, like, 200 people, but I also went to, like, a really old, like, historic building-y high school. So everyone just ate on the floor, and you just dealt with the cockroaches as they came to you. Honestly, same. Yeah. My high school was... Huge. I think it's no surprise to anyone that I ate in the choir room. <laughs> um, I ate in the stairwell. Yeah. There were a couple of stairwells and my, my friend group laid laid claim if anyone was in our stairwell. First of all, I wouldn't have known what to do. Like, where, where are you supposed to go if someone is sitting in your lunch spot? But luckily no one ever was. Because, I don't know, we were losers? Not sure. But I also feel like there is, like, a light respect of territory in places, you know? It's like when somebody in lecture... Sits in your seat? seat. No. It's not a sign, but it it will throw... Especially if you're in a row that's, like, full of a lot of people, Mm -hmm. it will throw off the entire dynamic of your row, and everybody will be just as angry for you as you are for you, because they'll be like, well, now I have to move two seats to the left, and that's not where I sit in... History 405. Well, you remember that one time in graphic novels when someone, like, sat in our seats in the back table and then, like, there were no other seats at the table so we couldn't sit together? Do you remember that? That was highly traumatic for me. Um, I, the only thing I remember about that class was Kayla. Kayla. We had one of those, like, white girls who, like, answered questions she had no business answering, which, like, maybe I have also been that white girl, but she was particularly, um enthused about being that person yeah I just feel like Jackson 
is taking his discovery very selfishly. Yeah. As opposed to some of the other discoveries made in this show. So I kind of want to transition a little bit into Harris, the sheriff, and Kate. Because we'd be finding stuff out. Yeah. There's so much. One of the things that you really notice in this episode, and it's kind of something that gets brought up again once the parents start to get involved in all of the supernatural stuff is that like the sheriff is really smart. Mm -hmm. He's really smart and he is a good detective and he would have been able to piece so many things together if he'd had all the information. And so he is really like, he's clearly noticing a pattern in who's being attacked and that it has something to do with the hail fire. And so when he has this conversation with Harris about what's his relationship to it, and we find out that Harris was manipulated by Kate into telling her how to start a fire without getting caught, essentially. And in this monologue, really, ah, oh, just so many red herrings, because he talks about, like, dissolving a body in acid and getting away with murder, and you're like, mm, you wish, you edgelord. Um, okay, I would like to say that I think that is, a, apparently, if you have seen the first season of Breaking Bad, just generic chemistry teacher knowledge. I, I assume so, but I also feel like anyone with access to Google or Ask Inquiry or whatever <laughs> search mechanism Jackson uses at the hospital... Um, I'm sure you could figure that out. I'm sure it's not, like, exclusive to chemistry. No, I'm just saying, like, I don't think that that is as threatening as it sounds. No, but you throw it out there in the context of everything else and just the fact that he's so creepy. Um, Yeah. He's just, like... Gross. I used this, you know, the phrase while we were um, watching it, like, he's an incel. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. He comes off as somebody who thinks he deserves someone from women, deserves something from the women who give him any modicum of attention, and like that's yucky. But yeah. here's the thing: Kate is also dis- a deplorable human being. Kate is a pedophile, and everyone just kind of laughs about it. Yeah, and we're just kind of like, no. And then at some point, Allison's like, "You're gross," or something, and it's like, "Yeah, Allison, you're right. She is gross." Yeah, but, but she laughs it off. I think that there really is a cultural standard where, like, men are not allowed to be into younger women without people calling them on it, and women are allowed to be like, that's a snack, and he's 16. Yeah, it's like, it's you're allowed to be a cougar, yeah. but you're not. Which, like, you're not allowed to be either, by the way, unless that person is, like, in, in, unless the person of your affection is of consenting age and an, an adult, which Jackson and Scott, who she hits on, aren't, and Derek who we are fairly certain she slept with in his youth was Mm -hmm. not of age and she was, which is just gross. It's just disgusting. And there's this really weird, like, vaguely sexual interaction between her and Allison in the Hale house, and it's just like, huh. Yeah, gross. But wait, I know we we were excited (laughs) to to, to shit on Kate for that, but back to to, to Mr. Harris. I think what's really interesting about that is he both knows – that he was an accomplice in this fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's funny because I feel like he is now, his discovery is that he is no longer somebody who can just ignore the fact that it happened. Yeah. He realizes that he might be back on the hook for it. But the big, I think the, the most interesting discovery in that scene is actually the sheriff realizing 
what happened. And also now having a suspect for what was, you know, thought to be this crazy accident. Mm -hmm. And is now a, you know, quadruple homicide. How many people died in the fire? So many. Like six, I want to say. Like a lot of Yes. A lot of people. Um, An octagonal homicide. <laughs> yeah. I, it's actually crazy. And I recently read this article about a man who was executed in Texas, Cameron Todd Willingham, like in the nineties because he, um, escaped from his home when there was a fire and his three children died. Um, and the investigators were using these incredibly outmoded, uh, methods of arson investigation and despite the fact that like many other people came in and said like no this was an accident he was still executed for that crime like I feel like fire is really hard to investigate um especially because you don't you basically need zero qualifications to like investigate arson um so maybe that's part of the reason why it's taken them so long to realize but also like you know, it's this old house in the middle of the woods, you know, maybe a candle fell over. Like, mm-hmm. things, uh, an old house burned down in my hometown, like, not long ago just because the electrical wiring yeah. was shot. And it's just because the house was built in, you know, 1898 or whatever. Like, so it, it doesn't necessarily seem... And I don't even I don't even think that like in the police reporting of it or like in the, the initial investigation of the fire that like Derek came forward and was like this was murder. Yeah, well I think because how do you? I think they ran. Yeah. Because they were scared. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I think that once the sheriff starts to figure things out, is really mm-hmm. I think when the show gets so much more interesting. Oh yeah. The scene where he pulls out all of the old files Ugh. of cases that he thinks he missed something on. I actually think it happens in season 3B, maybe, 3A. I think so, It's heartbreaking, you know? Mm-hmm. And he realizes that, like, he is good at his job, but there was just not enough there for him to figure things out, these things out. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And so we talk about the major... Oh, actually, wait, did you have a point? We can come back to it. Um, it's fine. Well, I was the major, the major, the major discovery. discovery of this episode is who the alpha is, which we've been talking about from episode one. Oh yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert! It's Peter. It's Hale. Peter. Yeah. Um. And I don't know. I, again, watching this for a second time, it seems so obvious. But the first time, man, they got me. I was like, oh what? It's Peter, but. Everything that kind of clicks into place in the episode before that big reveal makes you feel, oh my god, I'm so dumb. Yes. Because of all of the fire stuff and, like, bringing up Laura and what she was looking for and, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, And you feel like you should have known it and he is such a good big bad. Yeah. Yes. No. And, like, I think Peter, I think Ian Bowen's longevity on this show is indicative of both, I think, his skill in this particular role. I actually haven't seen him in anything else to let you know if he's, like, good otherwise, which I'm Mm -hmm. sure he is. Sorry, Ian Bowen. Um, His, like, longevity in the series is that people wanted to see more of Peter. He's, like, a very... We were talking about, like, one of our favorite tropes is when the, the villain is explaining something slowly and calmly while absolutely beating the living daylights out of the protagonist, which mm-hmm. in this case is Derek, and it happens in the um, 
long-term stay hospital. I don't, what are those called? Memory care, I don't really know, but also um, it's clearly like not in use because no other staff people are there at all. Well, I was gonna get to that. I was gonna yeah. talk about that. I think that the nurse probably cleared it out somehow. Probably. Um, he's a very elegant villain. Mm-hmm. He's psychotic and twisted and really gross and like he has kind of a redemption arc later but like we never truly like love or we trust. never trust Peter yeah Ever. um but he as as the alpha is something that is I think it's funny because I can either sit here and be like it was done very well that I didn't know who the alpha was or it's done very poorly that I didn't know Because I personally am somebody who's like, you should see the twist coming, and that's why it should be fun. Yeah, I do think that it's... Upon rewatch, I sometimes have a difficult time focusing on the things that I'm watching, unless it's something that's, like, really gripping. And so I think had I been paying closer attention, I probably would have been a little more dialed in to that, to the breadcrumbs that they drop throughout the season. And so I don't think it's a total failure on their part, but I think... It's a failure on my part. (laughs) part. I mean, I think that there are probably things that they could have done to make it, to have made it less of a shock. Um, But they really, they worked really hard at that Deaton fake out. Yeah, and it's funny that we haven't seen him now in two episodes, right? Yeah. It's weird. Actually, I wish he had reappeared. They, I just think that the writers didn't know what to do with him. No, and he does get more interesting as yeah. time goes by. When he becomes, like, their emissary, it's and far more interesting. useful, because at this point he's not been useful at, at all. all. No. Yeah. Um, I, no, I love Peter as a villain. Um... Unfortunately, his hair is not that great in this season, and so he's, you're just kind of like, I don't really understand what's like... No one has good hair in this yeah. season, with the exception of... Crystal Reed. No, because her hair, she's got those really tight, like, 2011 curls. It's, like, not a beach wave yet. No, but... And when she like, chops her hair fine. in season three, she like so... No, I was gonna say Jackson, because he has, like, a very timeless haircut. Yeah, I mean, it's a little, like, 2011 spiky, but you're right. Yeah. It's, like, when they're in the pool, and it's kind of wet, and you're like... Normal hair. Yeah. Um, the pool scene. There were, like, free swims at, like, my middle school, I think, but not my high school, but they're clearly not in gym. She would not be wearing a bikini if it was gym. No. Um, I can't speak to that because my high school nor my middle school had a gym. Nope. Pool. Oh, uh, they didn't have a gym. No, we had a gym. We just played badminton and or walked around the track. No pool. I did not have to take gym in high school or middle school. We had to take it for one year, and uh, my gym teacher genuinely didn't care. We invented Ultimate Badminton, which is where you steal birdies from all of the other people who are trying to play and keep as many in the air at a time as you can. That's fun! It's super fun! Until you get in trouble for stealing other people's equipment. Um, oh, I thought that was, like, gym teacher sanctioned. Maybe no, less fun. You're no. just a cruel person. Got it. No one else was... No one else cared. But, um... I feel so off topic. <laughs> What's going on? We're in the pool scene. Yeah, the pool scene. Um, it's a continuation of the flirtation between um, Allison and Jackson, which I think if they hadn't built it up, I would have been really pissed off at this scene because I would have been like, where is this coming from? But it's very clearly established. Um, I appreciate that it never really gets anywhere. Same. Because that would have pissed me off. No. Because I'm not... Look, I'm not a Scallison, like, diehard, 
but I do appreciate their relationship, and I don't think that Jallison is where I wanted to go. I, I've i said it before, I ship whatever is, like, the ship you're supposed to be rooting for in Teen Wolf at any given moment. Like, I'm so unpicky, but that one you're not supposed to be rooting for, which is why, like, I'm interested in the fact that it's happening, because you can tell it's strategic by Jackson, which I mentioned earlier, like, he has, like, ways he's gonna do about things. And it's funny that he has the capacity to flirt with Allison, but doesn't have the capacity to flirt with, like, the other people in his life. And I don't mean flirt, like, romantically. I mean, like, he can't ever, like, flatter Scott enough to get anywhere with Scott. Or Darren, yeah. for that matter. He doesn't and he know how clearly to. has that skill set, but he doesn't understand that you can actually just be nice to people and get things that way. <laughs> he only sees being nice and, like, affectionate as, like, a way of getting things from women. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's very, he's very manipulative. And I and I think part of that is because he doesn't really see what other men can do for him. Like, he sees what women can do for him. Which is funny because he's not straight. I mean, I it's funny because we talk a lot about, like, what the writers were and weren't planning. I think it's really hard to say that they thought that Jackson was going to be gay later. Yeah, I mean, that possibly could have been... I mean, Colton Haynes shows up for, like, one episode in the in, end. In yeah. the end. So that could have absolutely been him being like, I'm gay, and I want to be gay. No. I don't know. And season six was such like a fuck all that they were like, all right, cool. <laughs> they were, wait, they were like, we have this other gay character. And they're just like living in this lavish apartment in London. It's great. I want to be best friends with them. Like, I, I want them to be my best couple friends. But, um... They're supposed to be like 18, right? Are they both just living off family money? Dude, I don't understand how all of the alphas are, like, living in a penthouse in season three. Don't know. No. Don't care, truly, to be honest. We don't understand, like, the socioeconomic structure of Beacon Hills werewolves. No, and I don't understand, like, how the Hills are so wealthy either. Because it's not like vampires where you have millions of years to, like, accumulate wealth. and. I really do think that there's property moguls. Probably. Like, that's why Derek owns that entire apartment building. Derek is a landlord, and we <laughs> as the proletariats need to make sure you all know that that's not okay. <laughs> what class are you struggling with and why? The bourgeoisie, because they control the modes of production. <laughs> exactly. My favorite meme. Um, yeah, there's a lot of realizing things. What else do you find to be... Should we talk a little bit more about Peter? Because I feel like we kind of skimmed. Yeah. Um, hmm... Peter talks kind of briefly. We we get a lot of his motivation in this episode, but he doesn't really um, he doesn't get to talk as much as as I would like for him to talk. If that makes sense, because like we don't have all of the pieces of the puzzle answered by finding out that it's him. Because you're still kind of like, what's your end game? What's your end goal here? Mm-hmm. What's your um, Avengers end game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. What a horrible movie. <laughs> he talks about the fact that, you know, he was so crushed by the fire. He was, like, incapacitated. His brain was in a vegetative state. And, like, that just goes to show how awful this fire is. Because the man is a werewolf. He should have been able to heal much more quickly than, like, any normal human would. But he's been in this state for the past six years. Right. Mm-hmm. Am I making that up? Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
it kind of explains why he's moving so slowly. <laughs> but he also has, like, this immense power. Because literally all he's been doing for the past six years is just sitting there, like, gathering rage inside yeah. of him. Um, Which, as I said, becomes a major plot point later because we understand that that's how the Deadpool got, gets made. Yeah. Um, well, what... Sorry, I was, I'm just keep talking. What I think is no, really... keep talking. It's okay. <laughs> what I, I think, didn't have anything to add. What I think is really interesting about that is Peter, at least in, in this moment, seems very clearly motivated by the fire. And that killed members of his family. But he doesn't really seem to care about that aspect of it. Because he's literally wailing on his nephew as he's talking about this. Peter cares about Peter and Peter only. I think you're conflating something where, like, Peter is seeking... It, I Peter isn't doesn't want to avenge his family. He wants revenge. Yeah. Which is, in this case, two different things. Like, he wants he wants to kill the Argents because he already... I mean, like, he would already have had, like, this deep hatred of them because they're murderers. Yeah. But once... They also made him suffer specifically for the last six years... He's not thinking about his two, like, last living family members running around in the woods or whatever trying to live normal lives because they're not around, you know? Mm -hmm. Derek comes back to Beacon Hills and sees him for the first time in six years and is like, give me a sign that you're there. I would be really pissed off if that had me. I'd be like, where were you these last six years? I was trying to get better, you know? So I think that this isn't about, you know, you know, making even. This is about, Mm -hmm. like, making you hurt as I hurt. Yeah. Well, and I think that that becomes Peter's fatal flaw, is that he doesn't know... Despite being a werewolf, he doesn't know how to work in a team, and he doesn't really give a shit about a pack. No, it's funny that Peter doesn't ever fall to the rank of Omega. Yeah. Because he's so he's so self-centered, and he's so only about Peter. And it's really only in his, like, pseudo-redemption arc with Malia that we really get a different side of him where he is not that self-centered. Yeah, he's like, ugh, I have to be a dad now. <laughs> How to be a good dad. We're writing a website, guys. Um, this will go right now. How to be a good dad.com will be our side project after we write our really awful self help book. <laughs> the life tips from Christian and Julia of the Team of Free World. Um, what are your thoughts? On Peter? On Peter. I kind of aired them a little bit. I did say that I think he's an elegant villain. Mm-hmm. Um, not in that he plays by rules, which I think is maybe the true mark of an elegant villain, just in the, his execution. Yeah. Um, I think that he is set up to be someone you fear Mm -hmm. and spend time hating, but ultimately sympathize enough with to keep forgiving for things, which is why he can come back all those times, even Mm -hmm. after what he does to Lydia in season two, which is just appalling. Yeah. Um, In the way where Kate could never do that. Like, we, I mean, we were talking about Kate just, like, on the basis of her, like, predatory behaviors towards young men. But Kate is charming when she needs to be. Like, we know that she charmed Mr. Harris for the, you know, chemical recipe for the firebomb she had, present, like, presumably set on the Argent's house. And we can see when she charms Allison into, like, being like, Allison, you can be this strong, powerful woman. Like... It's, yeah, you know she can be charming, but is never charming in her evil actions, which makes her kind of like you're boring. She's a little she's just grotesque. Yeah, 
you know? And I find that, like, it's not a villain I'm interested in watching. And, like, I don't think you need to humanize all your villains. Like, if you sat here and was like, well, he's a Nazi, so Nazis were people, I'd be like, no, I actually don't want to see him as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's somebody who I'm like, if she's going to be this big of a part of somebody else's arc, which she is of Allison's, I wish we saw some of the elegance we see from Peter. I wish it was... She also hurt. She doesn't have, like, personal stakes in what she's doing. She has no motive. She, no, she's just kind of, like, indoctrinated by Gerard mm-hmm. and, like acting on nonsense beliefs. You know, I think that's part of the reason why it's really difficult to kind of get a feel for her this season because we've not met Gerard and we don't understand that aspect of her uh, her growing up because Chris, I mean, he has clear motivations for why he does the things that he does and he is misguided, but he has this like very strong moral conviction and Kate doesn't seem to have any of that. And like what makes like Ducalion has a really interesting motive for being as evil as he is. Like Peter is out for everybody's out for revenge, but what yeah. is Kate and, and I don't want to yeah. we're, I, we're listing a lot of male characters who mm-hmm. we appreciate as villains, but I want to say that I think Jennifer has Oh, she's so good. I yeah. love her. And you like do fall in love with her a little mm-hmm. bit and like you think she's grotesque and you don't like agree with her motives really, but you understand exactly how she reaches that point. But Kate mm-hmm. is there's never any point where I feel like we do. There is one false discovery made as we're talking about Chris and Kate mm-hmm. in this episode. Where they jump to the conclusion that Jackson is the other beta. Which, better than thinking that Styles is the other beta, but still way off the mark. And as I mentioned to you, if Jackson were the other beta, the marks on his neck would be long healed, which is how they make the assumption that he's the other beta, excuse me. Mm-hmm. It's just... I, I understand that they're desperate for these answers, but it just feels like they're grasping at straws and... It really does. And also, when you're saying that, like, a scratch can turn someone, but so much of the, like, mythology that you've been building up is, like, the bite. The bite is a gift. The bite is what turns you into a werewolf. And then to be like, eh, scratch could do it. What? Yeah. That just feels like a real cop-out to me. Um, And I understand that they're trying to, like, keep them off of the discovery of Scott for as long as possible because they need to figure out a way to write that um, in a way that's going to be interesting, and they do. But Jackson, why? Is it because Styles isn't going to make it to the game? I would be more interested if they, if we saw, like, um... Maybe a scene where they go through and they, like, have a whiteboard and they're listing all of the boys in Allison's class or whatever and, like, where they were on this night and they're, like, actually tracking people and then they just somehow make the assumption that it's Jackson because of the night in the school or whatever. Like, that would be more compelling to me, but everything just feels like a, that's it. And you're like, oh, uh, all right, cool. Yeah, especially because Chris seems to be a very methodical person who, like, plots things out and has reasons for doing everything that he does. You'd think that that would be the way that it's approached, but it really isn't. No. Do you have any other thoughts on discoveries made in this episode? Um, there's one, the discovery that leads us to finding out that Peter is the alpha is when they find out that the text that Allison got the night that they were all trapped in the school came from 
supposedly Melissa McCall. Mm-hmm. Um, in a really great scene, and we haven't really talked about Dylan O'Brien very much um, yet, but he's got. I a think lot he's of... going to be a big part of Q's nose. Yeah, um, he's got he's got a really excellent like arc. Yeah, thank you. I don't know why my brain just like shorted out for a second there. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting discovery um, because you're like Melissa. What does she have to do with this? And then it's another fake out. It's another red herring. Until the ultimate discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I didn't really have anything like important or interesting to say about. No, that. but I think that's structurally an interesting aspect of the episode. Yeah, especially because I think a lot of what happens, especially in the first season, is telling you that anybody could be the bad guy, which mm-hmm. is something that I think Tinal doesn't lose. You know, like we have those moments where we're like, anybody could be the Duroc or whatever, yeah. but not really anybody because it's not any of the core characters, but when any of the core characters could be the alpha, that's really compelling to me. And I think that that's an interesting observation to bring up. Yeah. Speaking of observations, are you ready to move into Q's nose? Sure thing. Do you have any questions? It's not a question that you can answer. I just, why does no one turn on any goddamn lights? Yeah, I mean, I understand that they're really trying to, to funnel into, like, the horror conceits, some of which are executed well, like the rope and the flowers mm-hmm. coming out of Jackson's neck, and some of which are just for no reason. They feel so forced, and I don't think that... I mean, this show is already so dark. I don't think... Honestly, what would make me feel more creeped out or more unsettled is, like... It's happening during the day. Or, like, bad fluorescence. Yeah. It doesn't need to be completely dark, but it needs to be, like, really, like, a sickly blue tone or something like that that, you know, makes you feel uncomfortable. But you can still see what's happening, and you're not like, why are these grown-ass adults just sitting around in a dark room? Yeah. Yeah. Not my favorite aspect of the design of this show. And I think there are some elements that are designed well, but they're usually coming from character design Mm -hmm. um, or set design as opposed to lighting. Yeah. We can look up we can look up who like the lighting designer on Teen Wolf was, but I don't really want to shame them. For no. It. Be like, you made some bad choices, friend. Um yeah, I agree that it's it's like I would rather just I would be more frightened to see what is happening. Mm-hmm. Um and it feels like a cop out to just not light it. Yeah. Well that's like yeah. That's why Midsomar is so terrifying. It's like it all happens in the daytime. Yeah. Um my other question, I guess is kind of, I don't know, philosophical one. Do you think Lydia knows or suspects why Jackson broke up with her? Or is she just completely blindsided and has no idea? I have an issue with that whole aspect because I think it was crammed into this episode a little bit. There's no reason why that scene couldn't happen in the next episode. Agreed. Um, And I feel like we are really lost of Lydia's reaction. Like, we know she is indignant and digs her heels in. And she's like, well, I'm fine without you. Which is would be anybody's reaction at first before you start really feeling that hurt. Um, But... I don't think she suspects anything because I think she is genuinely blindsided by it, but we don't actually get enough time spent with Lydia to process that part of this episode for me to really say yes or no. Yeah, and I think it really, it because it happened in an episode where so many other things happened, it kind of robs us of a scene between Allison and Lydia talking about that and a potential confrontation between the two of them. Yes, this episode in particular 
I was wondering like it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, but it does because Allison and, and Kate talk in the Hale House. Yeah. Which people just can roll up to the Hale House, I guess. And it also just goes running in the middle of the forest on slippery ass leaves, not on a trail. I just, it makes me crazy. Um, it's not a question. Who runs in yoga pants and a shirt tied around your waist? If you're running, or if you're like me, <laughs> even if it's cold, I'm in shorts and maybe a sweater. I don't even put on long pants until it's below 20 degrees because you get so hot. I'm going to take your word on that because I don't run. As somebody who runs sometimes... My knees just hurt. That's a, no, I'm agree. not saying you have to run. I'm no. just saying that that's yeah. a weird costume design thing. It is weird. Um, yeah. I don't really have any questions for you. I mean, kind of. How much do you think the sheriff is suspicious of Scott and Styles' activity as it pertains to, like, the case he's investigating? You know... I don't know if he has put those pieces of the puzzle together yet because I think he's so invested in finding out an answer to a case that has bothered him for years that that might be going unnoticed. And I think that, like, Styles is just a weirdo. Yeah. Like, there's a scene. Oh, so good. It's so good. Lyndon Ashby is a hero. Uh, on this show. He, like, is, he does such a good job. It is so... Um, this show is, is really brilliant in the way that it portrays the emotional relationship between men. Mm-hmm. So we talk a lot about Scott and Styles, about how like that is closer to how like male friends probably behave than most of the things you see in especially teen genre television because it's usually just men no homo no homo yeah no homo but also like most of their conversations are just about like the supernatural that's happening to them but like we see really important pieces of like scott and styles's life where they can kind of jab at each other and poke fun at each other and talk about girls and relationships and like what's happening and like failing school and stuff and like they do it in a really emotionally open and honest way Mm -hmm. and the other i think key like male open relationship like hashtag no toxic masculinity (laughs) is styles and his dad and for his dad to come to his door and be like, I'm so proud of you over and over again and like give him this kind of awkward hug, even though Styles is like, I'm harboring a fugitive and whatever, it's like very important to him. You know, he's not just a dad who show who's gonna like, I'm gonna be there at your game. He's like, Styles, I am proud of you as your father. And like that is so sweet. But it's also so funny because Styles is like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it I think when Styles' mom died, his dad probably had to really, like, think about his priorities and how how little he's, like, physically present in Styles' life because he works this job with long, weird hours. And, like, uh, it's not easy for him to, like, be around when Styles needs him. And so I think he makes a really concentrated effort to, like, counterbalance that. Um, and it's just so, it's so moving. It is. I love them. Do you have any observations? Um, yes. So go <laughs> in um in in the scene where they are going to uh, play this big game, which we don't really get any more information about other than it's the big game. Mm. Um, I think it's a normal game, but Styles is first straight, which is what makes it a big game. Yeah. Um. Uh. Coach is still going with his Balinski, um, joke, and then. 
Excellent they, continuity. It is so good. And when they all put their hands in, they oh say... Oh my gosh, we both were like, what? <laughs> this is bonkers. It is crazy. They say, one, two, three, we are lacrosse. Not, we are the Cyclones, not... We are Beacon Hills, not one, two, three, go. One, two, three, we are lacrosse. What? What's happening? Yeah. What? We are lacrosse? Like, do you, okay, you know that, like, dub of the basketball scene in high school? Music? Yeah. It's like, I love basketball. That's what that is. That That is exactly what it was. It was so weird. And it's also, like, even when you do that stuff as a joke, you and, like, as when you and your friends are about to commit some nonsense, you'll put your hands in and you'll think of something specific to say. And it's usually just, like, USA on three. <laughs> if you're American, I know you've done that. Like, yeah. But I was just like, look. Cross, like yeah, we already know what sport you're playing. Like, have some team identity, please. That isn't just we play lacrosse. Um, do you have any other observations? Well, we've not talked about my cousin Miguel. Yeah, and I think we're gonna have to talk a little bit about the Styles Derek of this episode. Yeah, anyway, because um, you all already know how we feel about that. But we're gonna, but we'll get there. So my cousin Miguel, I theorize that my cousin Miguel, which is actually funny on its own. <laughs> With the exception of Styles speaking English to Derek, Derek understanding, but then still putting on this, like, affectation as if he doesn't understand English, I truly believe that they thought this was going to be a one-off joke, brought it back in season four, and then they were just like, oh, for the record, Derek has been Latinx this whole time. Yeah. Because he goes back and he speaks fluent Spanish to Scott's dad. Well, because baby Derek looks... Latinx. Yes. I don't know if he is, but... I don't know, the, I don't know if he is, but he's certainly coded as such. Which is weird because, like, Peter definitely is not. No, and Tyler Hecklin, I don't think is. He's I'm pretty, pretty sure much he's white. white. Yeah. White. Yeah. He's got <laughs> um, black and hair like, and paper white skin. He's practically Sleeping Beauty. No. Snow White. Christian. <laughs> We're doing so well. It, it just it just changed the clocks and it's dark outside. It got dark at 4.30 and so we're really, really struggling. Yeah. Um, no, yes. My cousin Miguel, which is, I mean... Objectively fun. I think if you go on Tumblr and you search Teen Wolf, um, without a doubt you'll see my cousin Miguel within like the first couple of gift sets you pass because it is funny. The one issue I have with my cousin Miguel scene besides the is Derek supposed to be Latinx? No. Is this racist? Is this racist? Is the Danny thing where, like, Styles basically convinces Danny to do some random task for him by being like, look at this shirtless hot dude in my room, which is, like, Danny's, like, a normal functioning person with, like, happy relationships in his life who isn't just going to sit there and be like, yes, Styles, I'll break the law for you because you let me look at some abs. Yeah, it's kind of wild. It's really interesting how the show is run by a gay man and still treats gay people kind of like shit until season three. Yeah, and there's no, like, none of the core characters who are really integral to the show are queer, like, in any way. No. Besides Jackson, who, we don't find that out until much later. When I mean, we gone. have later, like, Ethan and Danny, but they're not main characters. No. Even. And then Mason. Yes. But that's not until season five. So, I mean, it's really difficult to sit here and be like, yeah, this is such a paragon of representation because it really isn't. No. We constantly complain about how poorly this show did diversity. Yeah. The one thing that I will say about that particular scene is that Danny's skills as a hacker do come into play in 
later episodes. So it's, I mean, I think it's important for every show to have like a hacker character because what are you going to do with that one? Um, so I also like that the hacker is an integral to the like main function where they just have to be like, we have to call it a specialist, Danny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's an, that's an interesting little, little, okay. um, Tyler Hecklin looks great. Yes. Oh, his tattoo. Damn. Tyler Hecklin should consider getting that tattoo. I would agree. It's very foxy. Mm -hmm. Rippling back muscles. Um, yeah, so uh, while we're on the subject of Tyler Hecklin, this episode I think does lend itself a little to like the steric of it all. Not that I agree with it, but like they are in a position where like Derek holds Styles against a wall and stares at him intently and whatever. And they like Styles kind of, is for sure looking at his lips. No, I that notwithstanding, but the the thing that's actually interesting about it is the power dynamic where Derek could kill Styles, but Styles also has the law on his side. So yeah. to anyone who's like, that's really romantic. No. no. <laughs> that's like really interesting a an interesting power struggle, but not in anything that should be like but it's so sexy. <laughs> it's not romantic in no. any way. They don't like each other. No. But their relationship is interesting because they do have... They're like co-workers, basically. They're co-workers Who in... interact in a fun and interesting way, but I do not find it romantic. I think they're co-workers and their job is like saving Scott from himself. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that, like, Styles is the one who's there when they discover that the Alpha is Peter. Mm-hmm. Because um, I feel like he deserves that. Like, he deserves to be the one who kind of who makes knows, that discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It also, I think, speaks a little bit of Styles's usefulness to Derek, or, like, how, not in, like, a Derek is using him way, in the, like, Derek perceives Styles to have a, like, skill set of, like... Being a people person. What I do have are a very special set of skills. Anyway. <laughs> no, I know. I know what you were referencing. I was just going to leave it be. Sorry. I, Derek looks at Styles and is like, I can't, well, one, I'm a fugitive, so I can't walk in the hospital now. But Styles has a way of charming people, of knowing everybody in this town, of knowing Melissa well enough that he could walk into the hospital mm -hmm. and get necessary information because he's smart enough to figure it out. So I think. Derek, like, respects Styles as, like, an accomplice, but not as, like, a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Derek Hill, himbo or not? No. 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 We have discussed if you're gonna be a himbo, you have to be a slut. He's not slutty until season three, and even then, not really. <laughs> Derek Hill's himbo metamorphosis. <laughs> a himbo in this show is maybe Scott, but actually Malia. <laughs> Which maybe she would be a bimbo, but bimbo's still a mean word, so maybe she's just a himbo. Yeah. Um, I support it. Yeah. I think that's kind of the last of our observations, unless you have anything else you'd like to add. No. Um, pack stats? Pack stats. Yeah. Okay, so no claws this episode, which I thought was Interesting. But we did see Allison do that really dumb thing where they see claw marks and then trace it with their own hands. You know, what's really unfortunate is, that, like, there are a couple of really dumb choices that this show makes, like, having the werewolves run on all fours, which they decide to cut very quickly. I miss but, that. But that whole, like, claw thing, that goes on 
for pretty much the entire show. And I'm just like, why do you think that we care about this anymore? We all know it's a werewolf. We all know it's a werewolf. And we all know what the claw marks mean. And I think somebody, I, like if I saw claw marks, I'd be like, hmm, claw marks. I wouldn't be like, I must trace it with my hand to feel as the werewolf did as he carved into the wooden floor. Like, Yeah, it's absurd. Whatever. Um, two glow eyes, both from Derek. Um, Hot. Cool. Yeah. And then we've got three ads. Two of them are car ads. Um, standard. Yeah, standard. And then also their jerseys have an Under Armour logo on it, um, which is pretty prominent and large. And also, why would you have a logo on a jersey if you weren't you know, being paid to use it um, if Under Armour didn't supply the jerseys? And then... At a certain point, I was, like, confused as to how many shirts off I should count. Like, is it every time that Derek takes a shirt off and puts a shirt back on? Like, no, no. I feel like it's just per character. Um, okay, so then only two. Jackson and Derek. Oh, yes. Well, technically, Crystal Reed as well. Uh, so three. Three, yeah. yeah. That mm-hmm. scene where Jackson wraps a towel around her is, unfortunately, very cute. They, I think that Crystal Reed and Colton Haynes have really good chemistry together, which is, like, yeah. unfortunate because you don't want to like that. yeah. But I think they're just like people who got along and yeah. could make it happen. Yeah. Agreed. Um, do you have an album of the week? I'm gonna think about it while you talk about your album of the week. Okay. I know my alpha of the week is always styles, but actually, I'll give it to the sheriff. Mm, that's where I was gonna go too. Yeah. But the runner up is styles. I think we have to agree on that one because Styles always t- ends up doing the dirty work and like taking a lot of shit that Scott isn't doing because he's busy like saving face somewhere else. Dude, Scott was a big old dummy in this episode and like not really worth talking sending, about. Sending? Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Sending Allison like the pictures of them when they were dating. Um, first of all, who took the picture of them in the woods when they were out there alone? I have so many questions. They're That's promo a- shots for the series. <laughs> Anyway, um, we didn't really talk about Scott because Scott doesn't do anything. fucking do anything. He gets the necklace about. and that's about it. And even then, it takes him a million years. He gets yelled at by Chris. Yeah, which is, is a whole other thing. Too much happens in this episode for us to really get enough from the characters for it to be worth talking about. Yeah. Mm. But Sheriff is finding stuff out, and Styles is also finding stuff out, and they're in a really weird way kind of doing it together, not that they know that. It is the um, year of realizing The year <laughs> of realizing things. Um, yeah, I just think that the Sheriff, his whole bit with, we talked about this earlier, his whole bit with Harris is like, when he doesn't let Harris give him, like, the sob story of, like, mm-hmm. no one's ever interested in what I do, he's like, shut up and tell me what happened. And then he makes what is a really interesting and beautiful like remark where he's like this person didn't commit arson arson happens to property this girl is a murderer Mm -hmm. which one tells harris you're not an accomplice to a crime that's forgivable you're an accomplice to a mass murder and it's also just kind of he like sheriff ends up with some of the best one-liners where he's like talking about like just epic weird law shit and it's just it's great He's a hot dad, man. Hot dad. He is my favorite line in all of Teen Wolf, which comes up in season five. Which, though, I'm going to put so many bullets in your head that God won't recognize you, that one. It's wonderful. (laughs) So good. I mean, it's not, it's nowhere near where are you getting 
I mean, it's not where we get New Year's, honestly, but, but um, still. yeah, no, so Sheriff and Styles, we'll, we'll give, we'll, we'll, they can be co-captains, a la Jackson and Scott. Aw, yeah. it's wholesome. So wholesome. Um, I think that about wraps it up. Like I said before, we are going to be posting more consistently on our episodes. I'm sorry that this these past couple of weeks have just been absolutely bonkers for the both of us, mm-hmm. but things are going to get more consistent, and um, if you liked this episode, please review us on iTunes, and tell your friends who like Teen Wolf. Um, we know you have them. We know you have them. Because if you're listening to this, that means you have friends <laughs> who like Teen Wolf, because it was like... It is, <laughs> it is a group activity, clearly. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to be updated on when we're going to post our episodes or if you'd like to participate in the post-episode polls, you can follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore ReWolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at TeenWolfReWolf. Um, you can follow our personal Twitters and Instagrams from there, should you so choose. And uh, we never really make this clear, but if you would ever like to send us an email, if you have longer thoughts than would fit in a DM or a tweet or have any other inquiries, you guys can email us at teenwolfreewolf at gmail, I think it is. And we are very happy to share those thoughts on the pod, so if you have things to add. Yes, if you have ever questions or observations, yeah. whatever, what have you. Um, but other than that, we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Oh, oh, bye.